What's up, everybody? Welcome into Pace the Nation, broadcasting back here in Washington, D.C. at the Podville Media Studios here in downtown Washington, D.C. on M Street. I'm your host, Chris Farley, back again for another great episode of Pace the Nation. And alongside me, via Zoom, my co-host, Julie Cully. Julie, what's up? Hey, Chris. I think we need to be officially introducing Julie and baby Julian, since he is part of the broadcast these last few episodes. So he is here with me. If you hear him cooing, that's him trying to communicate or yelling. Yeah, it's in protest, but we're here together. Well, welcome to Julie and Julian back in Arlington. We've got a big show. Julie, really excited about today's guest. Today joining us is marathoner Jordan Trofe. He is a elite marathon. I'll call him an elite marathoner. And it's a great time of year because there are a lot of marathons in the fall as we broadcast here in October. But this year specifically has been supercharged with a bunch of fall marathons that were either pushed back, canceled from before. And Jordan just ran three marathons in three days. And not only did he run three marathons in three days, he ran three big marathons in consecutive days, Baltimore, Chicago, and Boston. And he wasn't just out there to finish them. He wanted to see how fast he could run. And he set the unofficial world record for the fastest time in three marathons in three days, running an average of two hours, 30 minutes, and 30 seconds. I mean, that's unbelievable. It's like 550 pace for the entire 26.2. And not only do you do it once, not only do you do it twice, you do it three times. So really excited to talk to uh, elite marathoner Jordan. It's been a crazy couple of weeks with the amount of marathons that have been taking place, like you said. And I, for one, thought coming into this season, we were going to be like on marathon overload. Like it just wasn't going to be as special, you know, because they're all kind of clumped together. But typical of the marathon, every single one that we've seen, the elite races, you know, the stories that have come mid-pack have just been so unique and so special. And it just gave way to an incredible opportunity this fall with them being all clumped together and the stories that have come out of it have just been spectacular. Yeah. So we're really looking forward to Jordan sharing his story. You're right. It is a unique year. Hopefully we're never going to have to do this again, but uh, really cool stories have come out of it. I think you're completely right. So we'll have Jordan Trofe joining us here in just a moment. But before we do, you know, we always kind of get into some behind the scenes personal stuff with us. And I just want to touch on something real quick. It's been a couple of weeks since we interviewed Desmond Dunham. And between that time, you and I took a vacation with our newborn. It was great. We went down to the Outer Banks. We had a great time. We had a house there. Your family was there. But we ended up having so much stuff now with a family of five plus the au pair, Andrea. So we've got six of us. We had to take two cars, you know, so even with the awesome minivan that we have, and I love minivans, well-documented probably on the show that I love minivans, we couldn't fit all our stuff. So we had two cars. You drove one. I drove one. So uneventful on the way down there, but on the way back, I just got to bring this story up. And I think you know where I'm headed here. Could you believe what happened? Uh, I can't wait for you to tell the story of what happened. Let's hear it. (laughs) So we're driving traffic, you know, from the Outer Banks going up 95 or whatever road. You know, I'm directionally challenged. I don't know what road we're on. So you've got the baby and the au pair in your car. You're in the smaller Toyota Highlander. What do we have? RAV4. 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 You got a smaller RAV4. 
I've got the monster, amazing Chrysler Pacifica, and we're driving, and I've got the two older boys in the back. You know, traffic is not good for anybody because it's like the kids start getting antsy. For whatever reason, when you're moving, everything is fine. But when you're not, the kids start getting antsy. Every parent knows that. So we're driving. I'm following you closely. And we're in this kind of stop and go traffic jam on the main road, on the main highway. I look back and start yelling at the kids because they just will not stop trying to hit each other. So I look back and I unfortunately I take my foot off the brake. So the car continues to move forward and bam, I slam right into you guys. I think you need to clap a little louder and a little closer to the mic so people understand how hard that hit was. It was just one. It was just one. <laughs> and I said, oh, no. And I knew everybody was okay. But my first thought was, Julie is never going to let me live this down. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't fast enough where anybody was get hurt or whiplash. Everybody was in car seats or seatbelt and all that stuff. But it was not good. So I immediately put it in park. I get out of the car. and you know, I'm probably overcompensated. I'm like yelling. I'm like, the kids were yelling. Like, that's a good excuse for slamming into you. <laughs> it's like, wonder why the kids are yelling. You're yelling. They're yelling. Right. I'm just sitting there <laughs> in shock. So tell me your side, because I'm not sure I've totally gotten your side of the story. When I slam into your car and um, crashed into the RAV4. Yeah, I think there was no other perfect phone call for me to be having in that moment was with my parents. Oh, great. So then they just hear me instantly cursing over and over and over because <laughs> I look in my rear view and there it is. Yep. That big old Chrysler Pacifica <laughs> yep. just slammed into the back of me and you come flying out. Mind you, we're in the left lane of like a four lane highway. Yep. And you jump out and come running over and are like, not even, are you okay? <laughs> You're so in shock that you just did this, that this just happened to you. Like, like suddenly Chris Farley's the victim of this situation. It's <laughs> <laughs> so typical. I was worried about your reaction, so how upset you were going to be with me. Yeah. You don't even care if I'm hurt. You're like, how far into the doghouse am I in this moment? Will I ever come out? I, I just want to know how deep this was going to put me into the doghouse. It was crazy. But yeah, we were okay. Sort of. I mean, Andrea and I are still planning. Our lawyers will be sending right, you I'm sure. our medical bills yep, okay. here shortly. But yeah, that was a little bit too eventful for me. A little too eventful. And the baby just started screaming as loud as he could. <laughs> you scared everybody, but you mostly scared the baby. Yeah. All right. Well, I officially on the record, I apologize. I will pay better attention moving forward. I'm sorry. I'm sure there was some Virginia football game you were listening to <laughs> and the boys, you couldn't hear play by play because the boys were screaming and that's really what set you off. Cause I think it was a Saturday we were heading home. No comment. All right. While I was slamming into my family, Jordan Trofe was out there shredding marathons. He ran the fastest three marathons in three days, Baltimore, Chicago, and Boston. Jordan Trofe joins us next here on Pace the Nation. All right, welcome back to the program. And now, Julie, we are excited to be joined in the Podville Media Studios by our next guest. He's the unofficial world record holder for the fastest time in three marathons in three days. It's Jordan Trofe. Jordan, how are you? I'm great. 
So we're going to call it unofficial world record because I don't think your three marathons and three days fastest time has yet been certified by anybody. Are you looking to get this thing certified? We did submit it to Guinness Book of World Records, okay. but this is one of those like stupid records, like how fast you can do something with juggling or something. <laughs> you know, I just kind of put it on that level. Well, this is not stupid. Jordan ran the Baltimore Marathon, the Chicago Marathon, and the Boston Marathon, which would be a great feat for somebody to do that in their career. Not only did he do that, he did it in three consecutive days, averaging a time of two hours, 30 minutes, and 30 seconds. Man, that is incredible. Was your goal to break 2.30 for each of them? 2.30 was kind of a self-imposed goal. That's what I wanted to shoot for. I knew it would be challenging, but it was one of those lofty goals that I set out to hit, and we got pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. All right, so we'll touch on your background and your history as a runner. But obviously, you're a, a fairly elite marathon runner, and you can handle a lot of mileage, handle a lot of racing. But how did this crazy idea come up? So this idea, I credit to my wife. She is in sports marketing at Under Armour, works with signing all the athletes, with doing all the activation for Under Armour stuff. So she's super in touch with the industry and happenings in the run world. And she realized that Chicago and Boston were back-to-back this year. Yeah, an odd year, so they're back Exactly, right? just because of the COVID cancellations. And then also noticed that Baltimore, which is kind of our hometown almost marathon, was the day before. So we had this lineup of three awesome marathons. Big-time marathons. Big-time yeah. marathons. So it almost started as a joke. She kind of joked, it would be awesome if somebody did that. Was she like insinuating somebody being you? <laughs> like, husband, it would be awesome, hint, hint. You should do this. <laughs> That's ultimately what came out of this. But at that time, I think she was purely just shocked at the coincidence. So we basically just said, that'd be awesome. Can I do it? And then it became the logistical question of, I don't know, like, <laughs> right. can you do it? And it really just kind of took off from there. So it was purely the opportunity that led us to kind of chase this. Yeah. So your, your marathon PR 225, former champion of the Baltimore Marathon, which was the first marathon. And we'll get to that. But before we do, you were at the Naval Academy, and now you are a resident for orthopedic surgery at Walter Reed. Is that correct? That's correct. Wow. That sounds like a lot to be able to train as much as you are. Naval Academy, still Naval Academy responsibilities. Doctor, wow, man, that's a lot. So explain to me what your work life is. So I'm a fourth-year orthopedic surgery resident at Walter Reed, and Basically, what an orthopedic surgery resident is, is uh, an orthopedic surgeon in training. So you go to college, then you go to medical school. Medical school is four years, and then you select a specialty. This could be orthopedic surgery. This could be pediatrics, anesthesia, whatever. You select a program to do your residency. So I'm now in training for orthopedic surgery at Walter Reed. Jordan, do people make bad jokes about you being an orthopedic surgeon and the amount of pounding that you do on your body? I've heard that before. Like, is he going to replace his own knees? Is he going to replace his own hips? All the time. But having that perspective, the orthopedic perspective, really does kind of guide some of my training and recovery and just things I think about. Yeah. And before we get into the races, just a sidebar here too. Julie coached at Georgetown and was an assistant coach there when your wife, Hannah, ran at Georgetown. So she's obviously a runner too. Any good Hannah stories, Julie? You got anything, any scoop? Oh, please. Any dirt, anything? <laughs> well, Hannah was one of the most fun athletes to work with by far. And she is extraordinarily talented. I think she still holds the fastest 1,200-meter leg record in Georgetown history for the DMR. 
So she was someone who could step up for her teammates. Like she was absolutely clutch on relays, a really, really, really fun person to have on the team. All right. So someone like you who's training as much as you do, a lot of your competitors as fast as you're running, maybe don't have full-time jobs or at least as stressful full-time jobs. Do you feel that is a disadvantage for you? There's advantages and disadvantages. And the thing about running is everybody's motives are different. So for me, it's purely fun and the balance is important. So my job's my clear priority and I just kind of take the opportunities that I have and make the best out of them. I'm not on Strava. I don't go snooping around Strava, like looking at other people right. are doing. And ultimately that's why I don't really write stuff down or have a logbook, just because I don't really want to compare what I'm doing to other people, just because our circumstances are different. And ultimately, you know what works for you. They know what works for them. So some people are super high volume guys like me. Some guys run 40 miles a week and can blaze can at 218, fast. you know? Right, right. So how do you fit it in? Like, give me a, a regular training day when you're working. Yeah. So what's interesting about orthopedic surgery residency is my schedule is very fluid or unpredictable. And how my days look depend on what rotation I'm on. Basically, orthopedic residency is broken up into different rotations, which are different specialties or areas of orthopedic surgery. So you can be on trauma, you can be on sports, you can be on foot and ankle, hand, and depending on which rotation you're on determines what your day looks like. So for example, when you're on a trauma rotation, you're usually responsible for a few patients that you'll have to wake up and round on in the morning, take care of throughout the day in the hospital, and then it's unpredictable. So you really don't know when you're going to be done for the day. You don't know how many surgeries you're going to have. And it often involves taking call. So being in the hospital for 24, 26 hours at a time. That's the worst thing for running. It's challenging. And it can really throw off your training. But I take that in stride as now I'm running tired. And the training value of that is important. But you do have to worry about injury and things like that too. Now the converse to this is if you're on, for example, a sports rotation where you're fixing knees, shoulders, things like that, all those cases are scheduled and planned you know how long they're going to take. And you basically know you have four cases today. I'm going to be out at 4 p.m. so I can go running after work. Or it doesn't open until 7.30 a.m. They're all outpatient surgeries. I don't have to go in and round. I'll go before work. So depending on what rotation I'm on, where I am in my schedule, determines what my training schedule is going to look like and ultimately determines what races I'm allowed to do. So you live in Silver Spring and Walter Reed's and Bethesda area. So do you run back and forth to work? I do. When I'm at Walter Reed for rotation, that's a way that I will get my training in. Just because when I run to work, I have to run home. Yeah, right. (laughs) right. So it's eight miles in, it's eight miles home. That's a 16 mile day. And if that's sustainable with like the tempo of the hospital or whatever's going on, I love doing that. Do you shower there? Yes. We have call rooms there because there's usually an orthopedist in the hospital at all times. So that's residence. That's us. So you just roll right in, go to the call room. There's towels, everything there. Nice. I just have uh, some soap right there. And you can shower and just start your day. That's an efficient way of using your time. I love it. Jordan, I would think that having that hour on the way home would be pretty nice for you. I mean, you're probably exhausted, but a level of decompression and your ability to kind of process what you went through that last 24 hours of that last shift. How does that kind of feel for you? It's so huge for me. And I get asked the question, like, how do you balance the running with work and things like that? Like, don't you just want to go home and chill, essentially? (laughs) And for me is exactly what Julie said is it's relaxing for me. That's how I relax. So I have the time to kind of process the day and I have time to get ready for the next one. 
So it's really, really relaxing for me and a way to decompress and something I love to do. All right. So let's talk about the three marathons in three days. You started off in Baltimore, sort of a home turf advantage. You went to med school there at Hopkins and you've won the Baltimore Marathon. So when you go out and run, knowing the first marathon, knowing you've got two after that, are you pacing yourself for a three day of marathons? Are you like, all right, I'm just going to try to get through this first marathon and then, you know, worry about the other two later? For these marathons, I took them one at a time. I just didn't want to be stupid during this race. Like, I don't want to go out there and hit an unreasonable first half and just fall off the second half or really be aggressive and just do something that would compromise the rest of the weekend. But in terms of how far I was thinking and what I was pacing, I just wanted to, one, hit my 230 mark. And two, Baltimore, I mean, there's really one other guy out there. So I was running in like second place land for a long period of time. I just wanted to have a respectable finish and just kept that in mind. So Baltimore turns out, well, second place, 227. Yeah, it was 227, some change. 227. All right, you feel pretty good. You finished, you quickly say, all right, how do I get to recovery? What do I do? What's that process like right after the race? So for us, kind of two things. One was replacing the calories and the nutritional aspect of it. And the second one was the physical aspect of it, like the ice bath or compression socks or whatever we were going to do physically to recover. So one of those was much easier than the other. The nutrition was pretty easy. So afterwards, dehydration was probably my biggest concern with these races, just because I knew there's certain risks with running this amount in terms of like rhabdo and things like that. So hydration was pretty key. So tons of fluids afterwards, and then chocolate milk was waiting for me at the finish line. Okay. So chocolate milk, get some recovery, but pretty quickly, you got to make your way to Chicago. Yeah. So BWI direct to Chicago. To I Midway. Assume. Exactly. Okay. What time's your flight? So we left at five. So we had a little bit of time. Okay. Chicago, you go to central time. So it's like a two hour flight, but it's only one hour of actual kind of time. So we landed around like six. Okay. And these are big marathons. So logistics are challenging. You just don't go to the starting line and show up with a few other people. Bib pickup, had this been coordinated? How did that work for each of the races? Or, or let's say to start with Chicago. Yeah. So for Chicago, they made an accommodation for me. And due to, quote, extenuating circumstances, <laughs> I was able to do same day bib pickup with like the COVID verification and all that. I picked my bib up at six the next morning. So that night it was just get to the hotel and put in for the night. Okay. Got it. So then you go and show up Chicago. Unfortunately, it's kind of a warm day. Yeah, it was, it was warm. Yeah. So you, you know that going in. So do you taper your expectations? How do you feel going in Chicago? For me, the conditions, I really don't overthink them. Like, I think when you start making excuses, that's exactly what you do is kind of give yourself an excuse to do less or not do what you set out there to do. So it was warm. We felt it. I love being on the start line and not being cold. And I do tend to run better and hot because, I mean, we live in D.C. It's sure. 90 humid. humid. All the time. Yeah. Even if you're running like after dark at like 8 or 9 p.m., it's hot and humid. Stickly. It's like 85 degrees. It's crazy. So I really didn't overthink anything, but that was an obstacle yeah. at Chicago. But on that start line, I was there with the same goal in mind is let's get this 230. Okay. All right. And at this point, do people around you know what you're doing? Has the word gotten out? You did some stuff with Believe in the Run and Under Armour beforehand. So there was some promo stuff. Did people be like, oh, you're the dude who just ran Baltimore yesterday? I did have a few people. You know where I really kind of felt that support and where a lot of people knew what we were doing was in Boston. Okay. Chicago, it was still kind of low key, which is how I like it. I'm not really a spotlight guy. 
All right, so you low key another two thirty what two? We went two thirty one high. Two thirty one high. Okay, yeah, and I was thrilled. I was happy okay. with it. So happy on a tough day. Two thirty one yeah. high. I Not... hit my half nice, and then I felt myself falling off. But we finished with two thirty one. There, there so wasn't taking. a lot of good days out there for a lot of the elite. So it was a tough day. Two thirty one high. Then some logistical challenges happened. So take us through the after the race recovery and then traveling to Boston. So race in Chicago starts like 7.30. So you're done two and a half hours, 10, 10.30-ish. By the time you're out of the shoot, you reunite with people. You're done like dabbling around there. It's really 11 o'clock. And then we had rented bikes to ride from the hotel to the start line that and morning. And we, is you and Hannah? Yeah, me so and Hannah. So she, your crew there, or you got a, a other people Hannah there? Hannah wasn't me. I could not <laughs> have done this without her. Yeah, she definitely. She was so key in so many ways yeah. that, yeah, I really do see this as a we, not really an I, <laughs> because she was like my handler for the weekend. I mean, the nutrition afterwards, yep. just getting stuff ready the next morning, I really couldn't have done it without her. But uh, we got back to the hotel at around noon, and that's when we heard the big Southwest snafu. There was something going on where they basically canceled all their flights in the country. So you were going to go midway to- To Boston, to Logan. To, yeah. Straight to Logan, okay. And our flight was at like three o'clock. So we had a little bit of time in between. I had this fantasy, like I would go out to Navy Pier and like ride the Ferris wheel and like maybe take a little nap, like just chill. And then it just became a huge, huge struggle. So we realized that all these Southwest flights are canceled. And then as a result, everybody's moving their flights out of Chicago. So there's no flights out of Chicago to Boston on any airline at either at Port O'Hare or Midway. So any thought to like, all right, this was a good run, two races. Let's just have a couple beers and call it a day and then not try to get to Boston. <laughs> not even for a second. <laughs> that was not an option. Not an so the first thing I did was I pulled up my Google Maps and saw how long it would take to drive there. Drive to Boston. Yeah, it was like 15 hours. Right. I couldn't believe it. So if we left it at that minute, we were going to be there three, four in the morning. So, I mean, it was an option. Like I was like mentally preparing for that, but uh, not the best option. So then I started looking at surrounding airports and being from Cleveland, like Midwest geography, like is familiar. So we're looking at Milwaukee, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Detroit, Cleveland, really for anything out of there in a reasonable time and price. And there was a JetBlue flight leaving at 6 p.m. from Detroit, which it was 12 o'clock in Chicago. It was four and a half hours to Detroit. And we had a one hour time change from central to Eastern time. So we were kind of really close, but that was the flight. Rental car, Uber there. Like, what do you do? A rental car. Wow. You were able to rent a car that day, drive there, one-way rental, because logistics on that kind of stink too. Exactly. It was a logistical kind of cluster. Yeah. But basically that rental car, we just changed the drop-off for sure. Detroit. to Detroit. Yeah. All right. So you drive from Chicago to Detroit. Do you have much buffer? Like, can you stop and grab something to eat? Or are you like, you got to go 80 miles an hour all the way there? Pretty much. <laughs> uh, so it was very tight. Hannah, the hero yeah. of the story. Yep. When she found out that her flight was canceled, like ran down and grabbed me a foot long sub while I was like starting to get stuff together and figuring right. out our flight. So I had food. Okay. <laughs> I had really everything I needed. It was just a matter of getting in the car and going. So how long is the drive from Chicago to Detroit? It was just over four hours. Just over four hours. Yeah. Okay. Not great for your legs sitting in a car like that. No, it really wasn't. It really sucked, actually. I got the front seat, so I was able to stretch out. It was nice. Had my sandwich, put on some jams, and we just uh, drove through Indiana. I like it. So did you get there in plenty of time for the flight? We did. I had enough time to like get a cup of coffee and 
things like that. But that day was not super ideal because basically the day was wake up at 5.30, ride your bike to the start line, pick up your bib, run the race, finish the race, ride back to the hotel, find out our flight's canceled, hop in a car, drive four hours to Detroit, it's five o'clock, and then sit on a two-hour flight to Boston, and we landed at eight. So it wasn't ideal, really like any plans for like special recovery or anything like that went out the window, but it wasn't a big deal. Like we just stayed on target. We knew we had to do it to yeah, get to Boston. You keep in, taking a stride, man. So, all right. So you get to Boston. The, the Boston Marathon traditionally has been, and I don't know what they did this year in COVID. It's been like a noon start. What was the start time? Yeah, it was earlier this year. Okay. So what they did is it was a rolling start at 9 a.m. And they sent the pros at 837. So they were gone. They weren't even part of it. But I didn't fully comprehend what the situation was in Boston until like 8.55, <laughs> like five minutes before the thing. Basically what they did is, I don't know if anybody's done Boston before, yeah. but you get on the buses in Boston Common and they bring you out there and then you usually drop your bag out there and they bust those back. And then you have some time to kind of sit by the start line before the like 10.30, 11 o'clock, maybe even noon start. This year, the situation was drop your bag at Boston Commons, get on the bus. And then it was a rolling start, meaning that at nine o'clock there was a gun and you could basically cross that start line and start running whenever you wanted. So it wasn't like Chicago where you get you get in your corrals your and everybody's there. Yeah. And then you go, it gave you that option to spread out if you wanted to. So what ended up happening for me, the bus left at like 730 and it's a long bus ride out there. Yeah, it's about for sure. An hour out. We hit the ground there probably around like 840. So people are like starting to move fast, like towards the start line, like starting to take off their clothes or do that last point. And I would imagine stop. that you said the elite start at 837. I would imagine people of your pace are probably starting right after the elites. That's what happened is people who were like wanted to kind of race this thing were almost corralling up on the start line prior to nine o'clock. And that's ultimately what I did. So we had kind of a pseudo start, but it wasn't super congested. And I did hit that line running. Okay. So you don't have much time to think about it. You just go out and do it. You're heading down the hills. This is where I would think your legs are going to start to kind of give, I would think. Because that Boston Marathon, that is hard going on down the hills on your quads for that, those first few miles. How do the legs feel? So those first three miles being downhill, I didn't really have a good assessment of how I was doing. I yep. just kind of rolled with it. I started very slow because I was actually farther back in that crowd than I thought I was. and really got jammed up. It was a huge log jam at the start of that race. So my first mile was like 6.37 minutes and then it really spread out and I was able to kind of just roll with those hills. But I really didn't notice or take inventory of my legs until I was at least like five miles in. Wow. And Hannah probably wasn't able to see you at all on the course or? She scored some media passes. Okay. So I saw her at the start line. I guess they like drove out there and then like had to run like two miles to the start line or whatever. Yeah, right. But she was where like people kind of like aren't allowed to go. Wow, that's that's <laughs> it was awesome. kind of cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I got off the bus and uh, started making my way to the start line and Hannah appears. That's, that's cool. Ever. All right. So you said this was the race where people maybe started recognizing who you were and what you were doing. That's pretty cool. Oh, it was really, really cool, actually. So like during the race, when things started to spread out, the guys who were running my pace, we're kind of like coming and going. People were speeding up, falling back. We we're catching packs and then packs were taking off. And people were like, oh, you're that guy who's doing like three and three. Like, let's get this mile. Like, let's nice. go. Like, just the encouragement and support that I experienced out on that course was unbelievable. It, awesome. it was really cool. I've never yeah. had anything like that before. And were the crowds, I mean, obviously people on the course, you're just talking about the crowds. Did they come out in force? Obviously a weird year where Boston's in the fall. Yeah. Unreal. 
The crowd support at all three races was unbelievable. The energy at these races, honestly, running that last marathon at Boston, having done two prior and being kind of in uncharted territory, that's the easiest place to do something like that because there's just people screaming all the time. Yeah. All right. So you finish it, you run... A little faster than you did at Chicago or? A little slower. A little slower, okay. Yeah, I hit a 232. 232, low. okay. 232 low. And how do you feel? I mean, big sense of accomplishment, like relief. I mean, what were your emotions when you finished? It was nice. It was yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a very philosophical or emotional. Yeah. You're kind of a medium guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm very almost pragmatic. So this was just kind of like go hit it or yeah. kind of like just essentially a task or a mission. To yep. accomplish. So when we did, it was nice. I was yeah. pumped. It's just the manifestation of kind of weeks of buildup and training and things like that. Really a testament to all the support, yep. especially for my wife and anybody else just involved along the way. So I was just thrilled to be at the start line and it was an awesome experience. And this honestly was really one of the first times I felt such a strong sense of community and support. And I think it was really a testament of like what running yeah. is all about. It's such an awesome group of people who understand each other, are very motivated people, and just get out there and just kind of chase goals. And to have the support in my own was so amazing. That's cool, man. Well, it caught the attention of a lot of folks, including I saw it. Darren Ravel tweeted about it. He's got 2 million followers, which is pretty cool. So it was to others like pretty darn impressive and was a big story. Yeah, that's cool. It's cool that people found this interesting, you know, because I'm not an elite. It was just kind of an awesome opportunity and a goal that we set. And to have people along for the ride just made it really special. Well, Believe in the Run was a a big supporter. You mentioned Hannah, obviously, Believe in the Run and Under Armour. I think they dubbed it the Hold Fast Challenge. That's right. So, yeah, talk about Believe in the Run and Under Armour and how helpful they were. So the Believe in the Run guys were fantastic. Their community that they've built, they're so supportive. They're phenomenal. And it really spans like the elite guys to like the not mid-pack, elite. Yeah, just mid-pack. Back of like, the pack runners. Yeah. yeah. So it was really, really cool to have them along for the ride. And they put together some really cool yeah, stuff. content. Yeah, yeah, just a way to remember this, that they were so good. And then Under Armour. So I had another opportunity during these races. Under Armour is developing a carbon-plated super shoe. And Hannah, being in the sports marketing, plays a role in this. And this is kind of important for the run brand of Under Armour. For Under Armour, yep. Yeah, so she's like, hey, how about you run these in this new Under Armour prototype shoe? And me, I was like, that sounds cool. So I had the opportunity to wear this prototype, which performed amazing. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely amazing. There's not a single second I was wishing I was in another pair of shoes. They really did everything I could expect them to do. They were really comfortable. So that was another awesome opportunity I had. And then obviously Hannah put me in like the sweet Under Armour like kit. Yeah. Yeah. You look cool out there. <laughs> Which man. was Sleek awesome. And... So same shoe for all three races or three yes. different pairs? The same shoe. Wow. That's cool, man. That's really cool. Yeah. Believe in the Run doing a lot of great stuff. They tell stories, their media, they do a lot of great shoe reviews and up there in Baltimore. So very cool. Jordan. Was part of your recovery process slamming a lot of Advil? Because I know if I tried to do something like this, like Advil would be a big part of it. You got the super shoes, you got the fluids, you got the nutrition. What about the Advil? I took 600 of ibuprofen before bed, before Chicago and before Boston. That was really the only medicine that I required. But the ibuprofen takes the edge off the pain and uh, is an anti-inflammatory. It helped me get to sleep. Yeah. All right. Doctor's orders there, Julie. 
he can prescribe that himself. I think that makes sense. So before we let you go, I wanted to touch on your job a little bit more because I think it's just amazing what you're doing, working over at Walter Reed. Now, Walter Reed is, correct me if I'm wrong here, now that is a hospital for military and military veterans. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And dependents as well. And dependents as well. Okay. So what do you see there? You know, it's a different type of hospital. So tell us about it. So working at Walter Reed is very humbling. And we really see a broad spectrum of everything. Walter Reed is the National Military Medical Center. So we serve the D.C. area, provide just basic orthopedic care for a lot of the bases, going from your enlisted all the way up to higher ranking military officials. And then we also do get anything from overseas. There's a few military hospitals in the country with Walter Reed kind of being the flagship. So do you draw inspiration from your patients in your own life? Absolutely. Across the board. I have the opportunity to take care of some of the toughest, like most inspiring, most motivated patients in the entire world. And it really is humbling and it keeps everything in perspective. I draw a ton of inspiration from my own patients and there's just so many amazing stories. And that's true really across the field of medicine. People deal with some pretty bad problems and everybody has their own way of getting through it. And seeing that and being able to be part of that journey of recovery really is special. It's amazing. So it's something I don't take for granted. I absolutely love my job. I love the injuries I take care of and I can relate to a lot of them. I know when like there's a young Marine who hurt his shoulder on the obstacle course and you tell him like, you're going to need to take like some time off. I know that that's hard not going to do that. Right, right, right. right. (laughs) So it it gives me some perspective. It kind of helps you get on patient's level and kind of understand things. Yeah. Well, maybe running three marathons in three days doesn't seem so hard after seeing some of the stuff that you say. I'm sure sure that's the case. All relative. All relative, exactly. exactly. All right, last one. Have you run since? I'm sure Ever, you have. Oh, yeah. Here so, we are like a week out from yeah, the event as what, we record. Yeah, like post-race day yeah. 10 or something. 10, 10 days or so, yeah. So I took the three days after the marathons off, not really by choice. It was just kind of I had some work stuff to okay. do. But then I kind of schmoozed back into it. I'm at this weird spot right now where I'm not sure if I just want to run one more marathon for like fun this right. fall. Because everything got pushed. Like my wife's doing Cleveland this yeah, weekend. Yeah, yeah. My wife's doing New York. A lot of options. I mean, I can't get in New York, but I could like run Cleveland if sure. I wanted to. So I'm just like maintaining very, very like kind of a weird level of fitness just so I can like hop into something if I want to. But I'm going to take a hard two weeks off. After okay. every season, I usually take two weeks off, just completely let my muscles rebuild. And then I'm going to put together a good spring season. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to it and we'll follow along. Man. Thank you so much for joining us. Really great Thanks story. Thanks for having me. This is huge for me. Thank you. <laughs> no, dude, this is really, really fun. Awesome stuff from Jordan Trofe. He is the unofficial world record holder for the fastest time in three marathons in three days. He completed the whole fast challenge. Man, congrats and thanks again. Look forward to uh, following you, uh, what you do in the future. Thank you. Thanks for everything. All right, that was Jordan Trofe. He joined us on Pace and Nation. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. All right, welcome back to the program, and thanks again to our guest today, Jordan Trofe. Great to have Jordan on. You know, that's the first time I met Jordan in person. I know you coached his wife, Hannah, who's doing awesome stuff over there at Under Armour for the running community. Hannah's like a colleague of mine now. It's really cool. She was promoted in this last year 
up to sports marketing manager. So we are kind of on par with each other in the industry. It's pretty cool. I'm really excited. I think competition rises the tide of all boats. So I'm really excited that they've got a really awesome shoe coming out that Jordan was singing the praises of. I thought he would just run in the different shoe every single day or, you know, make his way through whatever shoe they had. But no, he was loving the shoe, the new prototype that he's running in. Yeah, now I'm super curious. I know. Hey, let me, yeah. let me see a picture I know that of was one of your questions. You <laughs> want to know how their shoes were looking. Yeah. But awesome stuff from Jordan. Inspiring effort, three days. And, you know, just such a humble dude. Like, I'd be like letting everybody know. Do you think I wouldn't post it every single day on my social media? You better believe it. Yeah, Mr. Social Media over here. Mr. Not So Humble Brag. No, I would definitely be putting it out there. <laughs> but- very cool. And, you know, not only that, but I have been to Walter Reed. I was lucky enough to have the chance. A vendor went out there and we gave some shoes away to some of the patients there. Man, that place, he's right. Super inspiring, some adversity. So super cool that they've got someone like Jordan over there to work closely with those patients. The work that they do at Walter Reed is just so phenomenal. So it was really cool to hear from an inside perspective from Jordan today all about it. All right, Julie, this podcast, of course, is sponsored by Pacers Running. Pacers Running with six area brick and mortar D.C. locations. We've got three in Virginia. We've got three in D.C. You can go in. They're all open for business. Get fit for a pair of shoes. We also got a healthy online business, runpacers.com. So check us out there. You know what, Julie? The fine people over here at the Podville Media Studios splurged for some gift cards from Pacers Running to some of the Podville Media employees. Wow. Do you realize that? I did not. That's awesome. So Oscar and Shannon got some employees. So Rob, turn your mic on, buddy. I've got a gift card here for you for a pair of shoes. Wow. Thank you so much. From Oscar and Shannon. Hey. So you can go into one of our stores. You can go get fit virtually online. We're going to get you out there. I was talking to Rob beforehand, Julie. I think we can motivate him. We're going to make him a runner. You know, he's not going to be Jordan Trofe. You know, could be. If you are. Exactly. But we're going to get it. We're going to get you out there, buddy. So, Rob, check out when you get this gift card, check out runpacers.com or I check out one will. of our six locations. And thanks to uh, Shannon and Oscar for making that happen. All right. We made it through another show. How's the baby there, Julie? Is he hanging in there? He is hanging in there. Yeah. He's sitting in my lap right now. So we're both recording together. It's a team effort here. Well, I think he did a great job. You did a great job. I know it's difficult. We're looking forward to getting you back in studio. You know, maybe in the next couple of shows, we can get you back in studio. So hopefully that'll happen soon. Well, I head back to work officially in two weeks, part-time. So maybe we'll sync it up. We'll get everything kind of going back in a normal rhythm again. Looking forward to that. All right. Thanks again to our guest, Jordan Trofe, who joined us. He set the unofficial world record for the fastest time in three marathons in three days, averaging 230-30. Awesome guest. Really appreciate him coming in studio. Thanks to my co-host, Julie Cully. Thanks to the Podville Media Studios and Rob Ford behind the glass. And for all of us at Pace the Nation, I'm Chris Farley. We will see you next time. <laughs>